In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. We have arrived at the glorious feast of all saints, and we are coming to the end of the period known as the Pentecostarium. We are here understanding that the fruit of the Feast of Pentecost, which is the establishment of the apostolic preaching, the fruit of that preaching is personal human holiness. What the Church records in her calendar, in a completely and admittedly inadequate and partial way, the saints, the Agi, the Sieti. We know that uh, the Lord's claim on us is so sovereign, it is so overwhelming that he can say without hesitation that anyone who loves those who, to whom we so obviously owe primary loves, wives, husbands, children, parents, that any of us who place that love before our love of the Savior Christ, we become unworthy of him. This is an utterly amazing claim and one that puzzles us. But the fact of the matter is Christ asserts it without hesitation. We who love anything, in other terms, more than the Savior, are not fit for the kingdom, are not worthy of Him, He who is the kingdom. This lays down a priority with which we do not often live very comfortably. In fact, Christ can become so kind, so good, so understanding, that we transform him into a kind of auntie. The old sweet aunt, whom we can safely ignore and safely downgrade in our affections, in our attentions, because she is such a sweet old thing that she will always and endlessly understand and forgive us and love us just the same. This kind of toothless figure in our lives, in fact, has nothing to do with the Christ of the Gospel. Because, yes, he is sweet, he is kind, he is understanding, he does love us. But he does those things vehemently, assertively. He is not one of the people whom we know who is so self-effacing that we can go for days, low months, perhaps years, without even remembering his name or his face, 
And then he comes up and yes, there's a sweet glow of recognition and memory which immediately passes into once again forgetfulness. And we forget him. We who are not saints. We find him, oddly enough, such a preeminently forgettable character. When we are thinking about him, when something comes up that draws our attention to the figure of the Savior, we think and say all the right things, which just goes to show you how inadequate being right is. We can say the creed with a flawless intonation. We can make the sign of the cross perfectly. And we can find Christ quite forgettable. And we forget him in so many ways. In the Gospel this morning, there is that kind of exchange. He who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father. He who will not confess me before men, I will not confess him before my Father. This confession is, of course, not confined to the saying of the creed, the making of the cross, or any of those formal and to that degree somewhat external, overt signs of knowing enough about Christ to make the sign of the cross, to say the creed, to know the Lord's Prayer, and to go all through all those things which can become, can become mere external rote. Not repetitions, but vain repetitions. That is to say, repetitions which cannot bear fruit. This confession of the Savior has far more to do with his, with his dictum that we who say we love him will keep his commandments. We are confessing Christ when we follow in the path of the Good Samaritan who sets his own business aside, makes himself perhaps late for an appointment, allows perhaps other merchants to get there before him and take the business in his place in order to show compassion upon the man fallen among thieves who was clearly a stranger. The honoring that children show their parents is far closer to the confessing of Christ that is spoken of in this exchange than what we sometimes think of as confession. And the care of parents for children, the mutual love of spouse for spouse, the respect that neighbor shows for neighbor, 
the compassion that we have on strangers, all that is part of confessing Christ. The absolute insistence that we have towards our own selves, that we keep civil tongues in our heads when we are under pressure to react in angry curses, all that is confessing Christ. The confession of Christ is, in some degree, my posture in my day. It is as much my body language as it is the spoken word. It has a great deal to do with tone. I don't have to expand for any person in this chapel that we can always say things two ways. We can speak the same words lovingly or with spite. We can say the same sentence in order to calm someone, or we can say the same words to provoke him. So tone has a great deal to do with the confession of Christ. The look in the eye, on the face, all that is confessing Christ 24 hours a day. And for those of us who will not do that, Christ will not confess us to the Father. He will not name us, so that we will enter into the Lord God's memory and thereby and in that way live forever. What will be remembered of us will be all those things which have alienated us from our Savior. And yes, he is kind and gentle, and yes, he loves us and forgives us, but not toothlessly, not foolishly. He is no codependent of our passions and weaknesses. And all those who have understood these things, grasped them, are the saints. And today we honor, amazingly enough, all of them. The names reel past us every day in the chapel. Long lists. Of this grand total which numbers in the tens of thousands, you and I will have a personal relationship with very few. And we in this country, who have a kind of cultural coldness towards saints, will have a personal relationship with very few indeed. One of the striking things of visiting Greece is how easily and naturally average people talk about a particular saint who has some particular meaning to his family or to himself. New saints, I'm thinking particularly of Saint Nectarius of Pandapolis, or as he's often called of Egina, 
particularly good in an age which has become cancer-prone because he seems to respond so fruitfully to those who ask him to pray for them if they have cancer. Everywhere people talk about Saint Nectarios and his great shrine on the island of Egina near Athens is usually packed. Huge double-decker buses crowding the enormous parking lots of this amazing new shrine just being completed in these years. One of the largest churches in Greece. Elbow room only, standing room only. Saint Seraphim of Serov, particularly for those who are either Russians or in contact with Russians. We don't need to know the tens of thousands. We don't even need to know a thousand of them. A relationship of warmth and familiarity with but five or ten or twenty is more than enough to motivate our prayer recall us from some tempting passion, set us back on the horse after we've stumbled and fallen off. But let that relationship be warm and daily, one of prayer, of remembering the life. These saints are of every kind. I will not in a congregation including the young, go into the details of St. Moses the Ethiopian, who was such a spectacular sinner before he became a monk. Every year we touch bases with great frankness with the life of St. Mary of Egypt. No matter into what degradation we may have fallen ourselves in our personal lives. At no point are we ever free, ever entitled to write ourselves off. Perhaps one of the reasons that the lives of the saints have opted to include such details in the lives as they are written down is precisely in order to inform us who can despond and despair over some sinful rut into which we have fallen and do not seem to ever be able to extricate ourselves from. Perhaps that is why these details of the utter degradation of some of the saints are included in order to encourage us to tell us in other terms, never give up, struggle, fight, show some backbone, do what the Savior asked St. Anthony the Great, the father of monks, to do. I want to see your contest. I want to see in other terms, if there's any fight in you, am I worth that? Would you fight for me? Is a relationship with me worth enough to you to actually struggle for? And struggle not in some mere, some minor sense, 
but struggle like a man fighting for life itself. That is the character, that is the content of the struggle to which the Savior always refers, what is always assumed. Back against the wall, enemies at the gate. This Sunday of All Saints can be so vast in its uh, dimensions that it becomes abstract for us and we begin already to drift away from it within ourselves. Best to think of the particular saints about whom one knows and whom one loves. The Sunday that follows, each particular people will celebrate their own saints. For most, it will be the saints of their own nation. But for Greeks and for most monastics, of whatever ethnicity, it will be the Sunday of the saints of the holy mountain, Athos. At that point, sanctity becomes more particular, more recognizably a certain kind of holiness. But we must not forget that holiness is not the province of monks. In fact, monks know how hard salvation is for our community. And therefore they know that there are probably far more non-monastic than monastic saints. But next Sunday we will go there to the holy mountain and we will spend time sitting at the feet of those particular saints who offer us, even if we are married folk, so much that is edifying. May God grant that the saints who spend their eternity in rapt and loving prayer for us, that through that prayer, their intercessions, you and I may be steadied and strengthened in our own course, however long it may be in this life. And may we respond with warmth and love to them. Amen.